Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, my co-host, as always, Bruce Kelly. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, Bruce? Good to hear from you again. I am well. How are you? I'm living the dream. Uh, we are blessed this week to have an industry <laughs> icon, uh, Karen Alt. A true icon. A true icon. Principal at Altfest Personal Wealth Management. Anybody that's been covering this space for any time at all has has crossed paths with Karen. Has has probably interviewed her or, or had the, uh, the 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 opportunity to meet her in person. We're obviously not in person with her today, but we are we are really looking forward to this conversation um, because we're gonna we're gonna lean on Karen pretty hard uh, to give us a a good history of uh, of wealth management with uh, with a with a focus on women and minorities and diversity in this space. And uh, you know we talk about this a lot, we write about it a lot, but uh, we we want to hear it from uh, from right there out in the field as as to what somebody like Karen has seen and experienced and, and where she sees things going. Um, Karen, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. And thank you for the kind remarks. Yeah, thank, thank you for joining us and taking some time today to talk to us. Why don't you maybe start off by, you know, you, you, you're obviously you're well known, your firm is well known. Tell us a little bit about your background in, in wealth management. Right. So I, I started off differently in life. I came from a family where my father passed on financial advice to his son and not to his daughters. And that always sort of bewildered me and didn't sit well with me. And I waited until I was grown up because uh, I wasn't going to complain right then. And uh, then I decided to take steps on my own. And now I really want to do it for the women I meet who, who may have been in similar circumstances. We'll talk to what what about the origins of uh, of your firm, Alfest uh, Personal Wealth Management? So our firm was started in 1983 by my husband, Lou Altfest, who had he started life as an accountant, didn't find that that was his thing, went to Wall Street and then started this new uh, industry that nobody had heard of, the only planning. And mm -hmm. uh, people said things to him like, oh, you're, you mean you're going to give it away? They thought it was free only planning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so <laughs> he was one of the pioneers at NAPFA, the fee only organization. And uh, I, I was hanging out. I had just gotten a PhD. And when you get a PhD, people think you can do anything. And so I was invited <laughs> by a university to create a program for people who wanted to be financial planners, although I wasn't one. And I was really very happy to do that and, and think of classes and get my friends to teach them and <laughs> worry about having enough students and things like that. And it was very exciting. And then Where was, I was that, Karen? That was at Pace University. Oh, okay. Classes were actually in uh, here in Manhattan, but the offices were in White Plains. It was very confusing. Right. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I blew left Wall Street and started his own business. And I would go by a few times a week and uh, chat with the people who were waiting for their appointments. And they told me all sorts of incredible stories. And I realized that I had not been trained. I couldn't help them. I listened. I sympathized. <laughs> I, I encouraged them. But I just couldn't do this. And I thought, well, financial planning seems really interesting. Why don't I do that myself? And I became a, a CFP and uh, decided to specialize in helping the women at our firm. Well, you must have been one of the original women at your firm at the time, right? 
That is true. Yes. And talk to us about, uh, you know, we know what wealth management looks like today. There's, I, I guess, diversity, but maybe not as much as there could be. Uh, maybe clearly is not as much as there could be. But what was it like when you started, Karen? Was it was it rare to see other women? It was very rare. And I had this crazy habit of going into conferences and they we'd be seated at meetings and at lunches at, at groups of 10 at tables. And I would notice some tables had no women, some tables had one woman. And I would always do a quick head count. And now it's gotten harder. There are more women, but very mm-hmm. often three or four at a table, not, not an equal amount. What do you attribute that to? Because that is progress, even though it's not enough progress for, for a lot of people. It is a, a big change from zero to almost half, right? Yes. And I think that women have a lot of the good skills that you need to be a financial planner. They'll actually listen to people. They'll communicate. They're very great at, at multitasking. And it's, they're really excellent people to, for the job. However, they've been discouraged from mm-hmm. taking these kinds of financial jobs. And they've incorporated that into their belief system. Oh, this isn't for women. <laughs> and so some right. people don't go that route and others do, but you have to be prepared to have sharper elbows, take your place at the table, make sure you're, you're heard. There's a, there's a, a note in from, from your, from some of your handlers, Karen, about widowhood planning. <laughs> Talk yeah. to us a little, a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I find that a lot of widows are getting themselves into tough situations and they're totally not prepared because like we've discussed, they may have let the, the husband or the primary person in the relationship take responsibility for a lot of the finance. They may not be able to tell you who their attorney is, who their mm-hmm. accountant is, who their advisors are in any way. And they may make some mistakes that they regret for life. I uh, had a client who, um, husband died in her country home, her vacation home, and she sold it. She could never go back there because he had died there. And uh, her children have been mad at her ever since. And she really regrets selling that home. It's been about 15 years. She Mm -hmm. regrets it every summer for sure. So I think the thing is not to make very, very fast decisions alone, but count on your close friends, your trusted friends, your trusted relatives, people who can advise you and say, is this a good idea? Speak about it. Think about it before you do it. I, I had another woman client who uh, decided to move away when her husband died. She had lived in New York and she wanted to buy a home in a state she had never been to. And I had a wonderful idea. I said, why don't you go on vacation there? See what it's like. See if you're comfortable. And she agreed. She thought that was a great idea. The next thing I knew, she had bought a home. She had sold her New York apartment and had moved. And Mm -hmm. that was very, very risky. Uh, Fortunately, she was a real extrovert. She made friends with her neighbors and was very happy there. She's not living anymore. But she was very, very happy in the place she had chosen. But it seemed to me a backward way of doing it. You know, check it out yeah. first, take your time, think about it. So sometimes it's uh, trying to get the widows to slow down. You know, you don't have to change everything tomorrow. It seems like some of your stories are you're, you're almost picking up the pieces in, in some of these situations with, with widows. My, my question on this is, and I, in, in my household, you know, I'm married, one of us, manages the finances the household finances and the other one is kind of you know just trusting that it's all being done right and in my sense is that's how a lot of households are managed 
um, whether it's the woman or whatever, whichever party is managing the finances, the other person is kind of just, you know, trusting. Is that how you see it? I mean, it, it seems to be the most effective way to manage household finances as opposed to both people in there. But I know logically and from a financial planning perspective, you say you don't want one party completely oblivious to what's going on because if something happens, it's a it's a mess, right? Well, it is a mess. And a lot of husbands say to me, you know, I've really tried so hard to involve my wife in finances and she just isn't interested. What, mm -hmm. what can I do about it? And the thing is, they're trying to get the wife to do what they did. If they pay bills every Saturday at three o'clock, they want her to pay bills every Saturday. Yeah. They don't say what parts <laughs> would you be interested in? Would you right. like to uh, help decide whether we can afford to send our kids to college? Uh -huh. <laughs> can we go out for steak this weekend? It could be something right. simple and small. And believe me, in my experience, I think it'll grow. You know, if, if the woman's doing something she likes, she feels comfortable in she'll assume more responsibility later on. But if she's doing what you did, she'll run. <laughs> I would run. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, who wants to do whatever it is that somebody's telling you, you have to do it this way, you have to do it this time, you have to, you know, that's not comfortable. So it's, it's not really an open conversation. Are those the kind of conversations that you have with your with your clients that are couples? We do. You know, it's very hard to get people involved. Uh, we had a, a fellow who came to us as a new client uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, we said, are you, are you bringing your wife? And he said, no, she'll never be interested. And mm -hmm. and then he he was interested and he wanted to come back again. And we said, this time, we'd love you to bring your wife. And he said, she she won't be interested in finances it's not her thing so we decided well she's not coming anyway let's call her <laughs> you know i mean most that could happen is she won't come and she wasn't coming so uh -huh. we called her up and she said yeah okay i'll be there and guess who took the lead guess guess who had the most to say guess who was making the most decisions it was the mm. wife not the husband and without her we would have been missing a huge part of, of their goal setting and what they wanted to accomplish in life and how they could do that. And that wouldn't have felt right to us and it definitely wouldn't have felt right to her. It might not have been a lasting relationship. Talk to us a little bit about the, some of the efforts that you've made to, to empower women in financial services. Well, that's really interesting. I think you have to look at it in two ways. You have to look okay. at your, your staff your employees, you have to look at your clients. And mm -hmm. they're both very important aspects. So for my staff, I uh, mentor the women in the firm. I, uh, we go out to lunch together or to somewhere together uh, at least once a quarter. And we mm -hmm. hear from everybody who they've been working with, could be men, could be women, what they've been doing, what they've been learning, what they feel they've been missing, or what they would like to know. And I think they know somebody has their backs. There's people they could go to. They're with a group of other women. And uh, I, I think it's worked very, very well for us. And we are hiring more and more women. We like to hire women when we can. As I said, I think they have very good skills. We still have more male professionals in the firm than women. Uh, and for women clients, I have a lot of events 
for women without men, I have also a lot of events for women and men, but I feel there are certain women who will not ask a question when, when there are men they know in the room. <laughs> and so we do separate ones for women. And sometimes we have a subtle way of introducing the finances. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's about finances, but you know, I have my financial spa, I have my women's financial salon, I have uh, newsletters just for women. And one of the most interesting, fun things I do is I have a salon just for women. It's a smaller conference room. It's very mm -hmm. private and women say, can I go in there and, and I want to talk just to you. And I, I feel that that's very nice. And we go in and we chat. And one of the most surprising things I, I was asked recently in that room was a woman asked me if she should get a divorce. <laughs> and I didn't think that was what <laughs> oh, I should no. be <laughs> that surprised me but you know I was able to say to her how do you see yourself in five years what do you want to be doing and this and that and she found it very helpful certainly I wouldn't advise her on getting a divorce or staying married or I thought her husband seemed very pleasant but <laughs> uh -huh. what do I know so you know I, I think that there are many ways you can reach out to the women and, and make them feel heard and I think that's so important that if people come to your room you have to talk to everyone in that room. And yeah. sometimes a woman chooses an advisor by the person who spoke to her, who said, what do you think? How do you feel? And, I, and I've heard that from people. And, uh, you know, nobody's asking about their feelings. I mean, I, I would assume some places are better <laughs> than others. So I wouldn't say nobody, but that's how they're, they're left to feel. We hear a lot about the, the numbers of female advisors and and people in wealth management and again as i said a minute ago the numbers are are getting better but they're still not uh represent representative of the kind of the, the demographics overall and i mean how important is it to you that you feel like the the financial services industry has to be a a direct reflection or or kind of mirror the 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 overall demographics and and why are we not able to get there when it's i mean there's you know it's it's no secret of the efforts that are being made well i feel that you know somebody who's really good at communicating who cares about their clients who's a people person in that sense also very good at you know the financial things but i feel that it could be a man or a woman who's reaching out to a client and is doing the right thing. So I don't feel it has to mirror if there are ex-girl babies born in a year that you have to have ex-girl advisors or mm -hmm. ex-woman advisors. But I, I do think that communicating is really important. And I have tried since the beginning of, of my career as a financial advisor to tell my clients, you know, you may be talking to the man, he may be earning more money, and you could be sure in the car on the way home, the wife is telling him what she didn't tell you, you know, what she really thinks. And right. I think so. I think it's very important. We do have people who will call us up and say, I want to work with a woman advisor. Not everybody, certainly not even all women. Uh, a, a lot of women advisors go to the men in our firm and are very, uh, I mean, clients and are very, very happy with that. They have a good relationship. They feel that they're being well guided into what they want to do in life. But there are many women who, who feel they want to go to a woman doctor, a woman dentist, a woman advisor, you know, and so we want to be very mindful of that.
Right, right. I understand that from the client perspective, but from the advisor perspective, from your perspective, Karen, you say that you've focused on bringing women into the financial services industry and even into your firm. What are some of the, the roadblocks that you see? Why are, are, are women not applying or women that do apply aren't qualified or are there just the number of women that are out there are, are highly sought after? I would say probably all of the above. You know, you want to find the people who either can be very well trained to do the mm -hmm. right job or are already at that level where they are doing the right job at another firm. And yes, then there'd be a lot of competition and there would be for men too. But as I said at the beginning, I don't think that, that this particular field has been so appealing to women. They think uh -huh. they don't know enough. They think other people know more. They're sort of pushed aside by this and, and uh, maybe not overtly told, but they get the message that this isn't for them. Yeah, I mean, there certainly no, no shortage of role models out there in wealth management these days of people like yourself that are that are showing how much success can be had regardless of your gender or anything else um and in everything that i see about wealth management is it it's just especially at the independent financial advisor level it it just seems like it 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 just lends the kind of flexibility that that so many people might like in their lives you know what i mean you're you you really kind of run your own business I do know what you mean. And I think that that's absolutely true. And it's been true for me and for a lot of my peers. I, I do know a lot of uh, advisors in a lot of different cities. And this is uh, what I hear and how I see them living their lives. Uh, you know, you can almost pick and choose what you want to do, who you want to work with, the kind of work you want to get involved in. And so I, I think it's very rich and I don't, there must be other <laughs> professions that, of where you can do that as well, but I don't know of, of all that many. There are somewhere, you know, you will be at this desk at 9 a.m. and you will be there till 6 p.m. or, or when it, you know, so I, I think that, that that is a very, very good blend for, for women. Bruce Kelly, you have anything for Karen? Uh, yeah. Hey, Karen, thanks again for coming on the podcast. To me, it's very interesting in my reporting, you know, over the years with, um, what happens with widows is that sometimes they can be taken advantage of by financial predators, right? Um, and part of that is that they don't have familiarity with the household finances and they don't have the self-confidence to make the decisions that are appropriate. Do you have any experiences like that or do you have any observation on how yeah. important it is to, to for the wife in the relationship in the marriage, uh, you know, to learn this stuff so they won't be taken advantage of in the future? I think that's very, very scary what can happen to people who aren't prepared for sure. Because women do outlive their husbands. Very often, not always. Not uh, always. But... At our firm, we've seen it both ways, but yes, very often. And it's, it's good. I mean, you can't ask somebody when it's too late, when they're too ill. Uh, so you can get a better idea from them of what's going on. Anything, as I said, who, who's your attorney? Who's your broker? You right. know, what do you need to know? And that's very, very important. And what I have seen, uh, women who seem to have some wealth, 
have men interested in them for not good reasons. Right. And so, you know, I they become targets, right? They become targets. And I've often said to to women that if somebody knew who we just met, it could be a man, it could be a woman, it's hanging around you a lot and everything. Introduce them to your children, introduce them to, to your neighbors, to your friends, and see what they think of them. To your you lawyer. <laughs> That's the next step. Or your financial advisor. <laughs> For sure. You right. know, and ju- just make sure that it is what, what it seems to be, what you right. think. Uh, because that's very, very scary. I do think it is. Targets. Yeah. It is. When you mentioned your father, you know, at the start of the Jeff's questions, at the start of the interview, I thought that was interesting. So your father gave financial counseling to your to your brother, your sibling, who's your brother, but not you and your sisters. Is that what you were saying? And is that mo- was that that sounded like motivation of some kind, almost like you had a chip on your shoulder there. Uh, <laughs> I hope I don't have a chip on my shoulder, but yes, well, a motivation it certainly got me very interested in, in why why am I not doing this? Why am I not participating? But my father owns some a lot of women's stores, so he was a businessman. And if he ever went on vacation, my brother, who was in his teens and became a physician took over the stores. I didn't know where the stores were. It wasn't ladylike. Like, where are the stores? <laughs> were know? they clothing stores or, or, or what? They, they were actually women's clothing stores. Okay. And so, you know, this was like taking care of the family, taking care of the wife. You know, it was a, a sort of, I consider it an outdated concept, but I probably would have said that when, <laughs> when I was a young girl. You know, I mean, it just didn't sit right with me. It didn't feel right. And I wanted to know more and more. And that's sort of what happened in my marriage. When I got married, Lou was an accountant. And uh, so every week he would say to me, well, how much do you need to run the household? And I would say whatever it was. And he would give it to me. And some weeks I was under and some weeks I was all over. Right. And after about a month or six weeks of that, I said, you know, I just want to go to the bank myself. <laughs> so he said, OK. And before I knew it, I had taken over everything. <laughs> so you've kind of lived this transformation that yes. we're talking about. And did I know that he was really happy to give it all up? <laughs> <laughs> so we do share on, on talking about all the bigger topics, absolutely. And I think it's very important. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I really don't understand families who um, won't talk to their uh, children about their estate plan. It's right. all a secret. And then there's so much bitterness when the parents die. We've never been like that. Our children have been with us to our estate attorney. I mean, they're young adult children now. But at the time, you know, they would always go with us. We just couldn't see thinking of obviously if they were three, there was no point. But as soon as, as they reached the point of reason, whenever that is, you know, it was much better to take them with us and we would all discuss it together and they would ask all their questions of an expert. And it just made sense to me. We had, we're very open about money in our family. Good. That, that, that completely makes sense. And last question before I kick it back to Jeff, not so much a question about women in the business, but how just in the more of a, a, a RIA question in general, um, again, Altvest uh, um, personal wealth management uh, was uh, launched, opened in 1983, I believe you said. Yes. 83. Almost 40 years ago. Yes. And I if joined you, a few years after that. If you could just discuss the RIA aggregator marketplace and the acquisition marketplace 
just as this person who's been on the ground floor of an industry like you, um, and you probably remember when you had your first 10 million in assets and 100 million in assets and 500 million in assets, right? And now you're talking about publicly listed firms with 50 billion or 250 billion in assets like Focus Financial. What's your sense of, I don't know, history or perspective? And what does all this aggregator market mean and all this private equity money, right? In our industry, that a lot of people who started the firms have until recently stayed in their firms. And right. now that they're getting close to retirement or are at, at retirement, they're thinking, what, what am I going to do with the firm? A, how can I monetize this? And B, how can I do something decent for my clients? And these large firms that are taking over, I, it's just very hard to understand how they're giving the same level of care and service to the clients. I, I just don't know that. And we've never taken calls from people like that, although we've been told you know, that we could sell our firm and so on and so forth at so many times earnings. And uh, so we just don't want to you do that. You could sell the firm and go to the beach, you know? Yeah, I could go to the beach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if the weather or wherever was, you want to go, tennis court or wherever, you know? But, you know, uh, we're very uh, fortunate that our son is now the president of our business. And uh, he's been with us, I don't know, 18 or 19 years, not that long till 20. And uh, he's the right guy for the job. And he's bringing new ideas to the firm, and that's wonderful. And I just, I think, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are, like to be independent. And so right. I, I think that this is pulling in a different direction. And so it's, it's hard to understand if it's good for the industry or uh, it seems to me questionable. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Um, so you're not making any news here on the podcast today saying that uh, uh, you're going to retire or the firm is for sale or anything like that. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not for sale. Uh, that's, a, that's okay. <laughs> we're all happy doing uh, you know, our favorite parts of the job and staying there for as long as we feel like and uh, being sure that with our son, they're gonna get fabulous care. Right, but not everyone is in that situation where they do have a, no. a son or a daughter to come in. No, right? and there've been a lot of mergers within the industry too, like one, what would be considered a smaller firm buying another smaller firm or merging in some way, uh, ownership and, and everything. And so, you know, that seems to me uh, something to look into too as, as an option. Right. Okay. Fascinating. Jeff? Yeah. Um, Karen, it, all those aggregators out there, they're listening to you and they would say every firm is for sale. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Maybe yeah. when the time um, is right and the price is right. Who, who can say? I don't know. Exactly. But as you and Bruce are, are, are kind of touching on there, uh, you're fortunate to have a, uh, a, uh, a succession plan in place and, and your, your son. I, um, a lot of the consolidation in this industry is because of a lack of succession planning. I know, you know, I was a, a panelist at a conference a while back and somebody else, another panelist said to me, tell me, how did you get your son to be interested? Because And I really didn't, as a matter of fact, uh, Lou would have liked this a long time ago, and I never let him speak to our son Andrew about this at all in any which way. I thought, what if he wants to go to law school or so? You know, uh -huh. like that'll be fine. And uh, 
but one day Andrew called us. It was his semester abroad at college. And he said he had a lot of time there to think and he'd like to come into our firm. And Lou was like pumping the air, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And, but uh, so, you know, Andrew that's great. Developed, but Andrew had been reading the Wall Street Journal since he was very young. He was the president of the investment club, which at his high school, which may not have been the trendiest thing to be. And, you know, <laughs> And, you know, he, he, he was the right person if he was interested and he just became more and more and more interested over time. Karen, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was, and we kind of talked around this since the conversation started, but looking at the industry today and the, the kind of various and sometimes overt diversity efforts out there, um, here at Investment News, we have, we have diversity awards and we have diversity programs and we write features on diversity and equity and inclusion. These are real efforts. And, and they're, at some publications, you would think the only thing they focus on is diversity, as opposed to the stuff that is actual wealth management and financial advice. Do these things, are they helping? Are they moving the needle at all? Yeah, does it work? Is that what you're asking, Jeff? I am. Well, I think you fit on all the major points there, Jeff. You uh, you have to have very good people who are very good at what they do with the clients. It's a very personal business that we're in. And right. so you can't just choose somebody uh, because you like where they came from or whatever. Um, on the other hand, it's, it's very nice to make all your clients comfortable and to open mm -hmm. your doors to all sorts of good help and, and not uh, exclude anybody and say, well, we don't take people from this country or that, you know, that wouldn't be right either. So I think, you know, there's some middle ground there. That's, that's very good. And we're very happy to have a somewhat diversified firm. Uh, you know, I mean, we have about 45 people working at our firm. So it's, it's not as huge as a major corporation for sure, but uh, we can still add diversity to our team. All right. Well, thank you very much, Karen. That's, that's what I had for you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's been a very good time. All right. We're back for the second uh, uh, little part here of the Investment News podcast. Uh, some very interesting news uh, broke uh, uh, this morning. Um, Dynasty Financial is has filed its registration for an initial public offering in Dynasty Financial, led by Wall Street Smith Barney veteran Cheryl Penny, um, is uh, is a service provider for breakaway RIAs, so advisors or teams of advisors who leave warehouses and and um, uh, set up their own RIAs. So they've been in the middle of this breakaway broker phenomenon from the get go. And I just wanted to ask Jeff about that. Jeff is reporting out that story for Investment News, the website and, uh, today in the newspaper later. Jeff, what's going on with this Dynasty um, IPO? What can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they filed to uh, raise $100 million through a stock offering. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's interesting in that it will give investors access to the wealth management space, which is, which is kind of rare and difficult to find out there in a concentrated way. Um, you can obviously invest in LPL or Raymond James or any of the publicly traded warehouse platforms, but the wealth management space, as, as we write about it a lot 
where private equity firms have just been pouring money into this space. So you, you assume, you think private equity, they're the smart money. Uh, they're buying up these firms like crazy. And I think they own a piece of, of Dynasty. Um, by a firm like Dynasty going public, that means regular people can, if they want to, do invest in these companies. You've got a few proxies out there that are loose proxies at best right. to Dynasty. You've got Asset Mark, Financial Holdings, InvestNet, uh, Focus Financial, and CI Financial. Those are those are kind of a short list of publicly traded companies in the wealth management space. But Dynasty, as you as you laid out and described, Bruce, they're uh I mean, they're really a platform set up for breakaway brokers. That's they're not an RIA, right? They're, they're to, to be clear, they don't manage client money. Well, they they have a network of forty six RIAs and in that two hundred ninety some financial advisors with nearly sixty five billion in client assets. Right. But, but you're right. What they're doing is they're they're rolling out the welcome mat to these breakaway brokers that want to become independent. So they help them set up their technology and platform and office space and all that other stuff. They help you go independent. Their focus to this point has been primarily on the, the breakaway movement. And, and again, what this says is they're, you know, they're seeing this as, you know, they need more money or, or maybe some of their insiders uh, are, are looking for, you know, an exit. It could be both. It could be, you know, it probably is both. Right. You know, it's a seems like a smart time to get capital right now, though. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, it's a probably going to work out for them, get them what they need. But like I said, it's a. What's interesting to me is it gives you another glimpse inside yeah. these companies because once they're public, you have a a little bit better look at what they're doing. Um, but you know, if you looked at the companies that I just listed. These guys, they're they're not really knocking the cover off the ball in terms of their stock per, stock price performance. It's just, it's just an interesting conundrum to me when you see private equity pouring billions into this space and clearly driving the consolidation. But when you have companies that are publicly traded, their their stock just kind of you know it just kind of chugs along. It doesn't do what you would think it would do. So. Well, for example, I, th I think that's a really interesting insight uh, observation. It takes a while for these uh, private companies to be well-run public companies, I think. Um, it definitely took, I mean, I think uh, LPL, for example, was uh, private. It, it, to, you know, TPG and Hellman and Friedman, I believe, bought it, bought 60 mm -hmm. or 70% of it back in 2005. It went public in 2010. It took like five or six, seven years for it to get all the kinks out. Yeah. Um, and to get its management aligned. And, you know, the stock was trading at 30, around 30 for years, between 20 and 40 for mm -hmm. a number of years. The stock is now, you know, before the market sell off recently, it was like 170 bucks a share. Um, Focus Financial, similar in a similar way. It had its IPO in what, 2018, I believe. Um, you, you reported on it at the time. And you know the stock price has struggled. It struggled. It bounced around, and a lot of questions about the debt that the company has carried. And it seems now that the the, the stock price has really taken off. It was up at fifty, I believe, uh, or above yeah. um, last year. So it just takes a while. It's an interesting transition because, as you as you noted, when you do go public, you, you go from being a private company to a public company, and all your 
all your faults are exposed, you know. Yeah, and, and also and your like, your your focus is much more concentrated. And that's there's a reason that the number of public companies over the past several decades has shrunk because there are challenges in the public markets yeah. that you don't have as a private company or even as a company that's majority or minority owned by a private equity firm. Uh, publicly traded companies have to be focused on the next quarter's earnings because their stock price is front and center. That's maybe what Dynasty is, is, is going to learn. They're certainly a lot smarter about running their business than I am. And I'm sure they know what's going on, but a hundred million is a small offer yeah. too. Well, I mean, like it puts I said, it at the it, small, ultra small cap kind of stock, or not ultra, but a small cap kind yeah, of stock. Yeah, well, that's that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't suggest the size of the company. It suggests the right. size of the the issuance. Right. Um. So this is, you know, this is, you know, probably some some uh, liquidity that is being uh, demanded or uh, or I, I guess. Is this will be insiders getting some liquidity. Right. And that's what happens when you have these companies that are have private equity owners. Ownership, if the only thing constant about a private equity owner is that your ownership will, will turn over. And sometimes it happens through a stock uh, issuing. Sometimes it happens by another uh, company, um, by another private equity firm coming in and taking that piece of the action. But but you know, Dynasty's clearly got a winning model here, um, and probably not the best way to measure that success. Unfortunately, is the stock price once right. it is trading. So, right. We'll, keep an eye well, on we'll see if other, you know, high tower. Does this mean high tower? You know, could do a IPO. Will Advisor Group? Many people wonder whether Advisor Group, all those mm -hmm. brokers there, will they? You know, are they angling for an IPO? uh from their private you know from their private equity investors all you know all those kinds of questions whenever one of these like a dynasty or a focus goes public it raises questions about all those other uh raa uh, advisor type firms out there yep all right jeff that's great stuff thanks so much man anything else nope that's it man well if it's monday it's time for another uh episode of the investment news podcast jeff as you know we want to thank our special guest. Uh, really wonderful uh, to have her on the show, Karen Altvest of Altvest Personal Wealth Management. We want to thank Stephen Lamb, our producer. Of course, you can find us at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. You can reach out to uh, Jeff at, on Twitter via at Benji Writer. My handle is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned, and we'll be talking to you next week. <laughs>